we are in week one of this new series, which is only a two-week series, although uh, this is kind of a cool thing before I get into this. So the series for Morning Church is called Behold, and in this series, uh, the way that Tim planned it out, it kind of tied with how I planned this out, and we did it separately, and when we talked, we're like, oh, this is kind of very similar, so that's cool. Uh, but mine is called A Christmas Carol, and so we are going to be talking about the Christmas story. We're going to be talking about two different aspects of it. Um, this week we're going to hit the actual, like the main text that we call the Christmas story, but the other thing I want to do, and this is what ties it to Behold a little bit, uh, I want to go back to the Old Testament scripture that was the prophecy for it. So one of the things you'll hear in any church, especially this time of year, you'll hear uh, the prophecy, you'll hear the Messiah, you'll hear all of these different terms, and most of us kind of know what they are, but sometimes we talk about them without fully fleshing it out and understanding. And so a prophecy for this came in the Old Testament. And so the one I'm going to read is from Micah 5, 2 through 5. And this is from pre-500 BC. So like go somewhere between 500, 600, maybe even older. Like this is a long time ago. Just to put it into perspective versus, so Jesus, uh, scientifically you can say whatever, but he was born, let's just say uh, 0 AD for, or 0 for lack of an argument here. And so you've got 500 years 500 years between the prophecy and Jesus, just basically. 500 years ago for us, from now, 2021, hopefully that's not a surprise for most of you, 500 years ago for us, William Shakespeare was alive and writing plays. Uh, Galileo was alive. Uh, there was no electricity. There was no indoor plumbing. There was no United States of America. There was no football. There was no anything except for, like, Europe stuff. There, there uh, Also, Nostradamus was there, who wrote prophecies, although not real ones, but he still wrote prophecies. Uh, anyway, so just think about that. So this is kind of like, this prophecy thing is kind of like if Shakespeare wrote, instead of Hamlet, he wrote uh, Seth. And so like he writes all about him. And so like the whole time, the whole time throughout history, everybody's reading this and they're reading this play and they're reading this play and they're teaching it. And then all of a sudden Seth's born and they're like, whoa, he's exactly like this play. Uh, imagine that for a second. So think about 500 years and how long ago it is. And now we're going to go to Ma Micah 5, 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem uh, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. So basically this says uh, Israel is going to go through a lot of turmoil and a lot of trouble, a lot of bad things are going to happen, they're going to be exiled, and then a baby will be born uh, in, in a manger, basically, and he will be born to a, a couple that are normal, and he will be born in a poor way, and he will be born to... Uh, bring peace. He will be born and he's already existed. And that's kind of a weird thing. And as they're reading this, like as you're growing up reading this, this is kind of like the Bible for us because this is the Bible for them literally and for us. But this is like we grew up reading the Bible. And so we read it and we hear it and we listen to people talk about it. We see stories about it. We see movies about it, all of this. And so we kind of grow up accepting it and knowing it and, and feeling different ways about it and having different favorite scriptures and different passages and different stories that we know. And we recognize different characters and everybody kind of knows Moses and everybody kind of knows uh, Noah and everybody knows Jesus because that's obviously what this is everything we do is based on. Um, and so this is something for Mary and Joseph and for, for their generations where Mary and Joseph's parents grew up hearing this prophecy. There wasn't like a written Bible, but they grew up hearing this. Uh, they grew up 
hearing these scriptures. Their, their parents' parents grew up hearing these scriptures. Their parents' parents' parents. Their parents' 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 parents. Like, I could keep going. Like, for 500 years, for a lot of generations, uh, they grew up hearing this prophecy. And all of them took it in a different way. All of them were like, wow, so there's going to be a small village and a ruler is going to come. That doesn't make any sense. Now, for us, we're like, yeah, that's how Jesus was born. But at the time, when you read this, this is kind of like uh, thinking that the, the greatest athlete or the greatest celebrity or the greatest uh, politician or whatever you think of comes from like a place of like five people in the population. You're like, that's really weird. And like, that's all you talk about. And so they're reading this. They're like, why would he come from there? Like, why not somewhere bigger? Why not somewhere better? And so they see that. And then it says whose origins are in the distant past. And that's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I thought it was a baby. It's really confusing. And so people would talk about it and people would discuss it and people would wonder about it and people would have theories about it. It's kind of like when we talk about Revelation. Everybody has different theories about when it's going to be and how it's going to look and what's going to happen. Well, in the future, like when that happens, people are not going to have theories because it'll be happening. But for, for Mary and Joseph, for their generations before them, for everybody at this time who knew the scriptures or heard the scriptures or had any feeling, this was important. This was vital. This was things are going to be peaceful. Even like King Herod and people who uh, uh, had nothing to do with, with the Jewish faith, who had nothing to do with God, knew this. And they knew it from a perspective of, I don't want this to happen, but they still knew it because it's such a big deal. So think about something that's been passed on and on and on. And like I said with Shakespeare, like it's taught in schools and we know the plays and some of you probably hate it and some of you probably love it and some of you probably only know the name. But regardless, it's stuff that, that we hear and stuff that we know. And so that's what this prophecy is. And the last line there is that uh, he will be highly honored around the world and he will be the source of peace. During his time, only one of those things was true because everybody was so afraid of him. Uh, and you're like, well, he didn't do anything violent. Of course he didn't. Uh, why were they afraid of him? Because he was legit, because he was kind, because he was good. Uh, Pastor Tim talked this morning about the Messiah and how everybody had kind of like their different idea of what he would look like. They read this prophecy or they heard it or they knew it. And they're like, this is going to look in a different way. And so some people were like, he's going to be a king who's just going to come in and Israel's going to win everything. And they're going to, it's going to be the world of Israel. And he's going to be the king over everything. And everything's going to be perfect for us. Some people were like, man, you know, He's going to come in and he's going to lead us to a different land or he's going to do this or he's going to do that. He's going to overthrow our enemies. He's going to be a political power. He's going to be rich. He's going to be famous. He's going to be all of these things because we look at things like this from the perspective of how we would do them kind of or what's most important to us. And so if you see money as kind of like the end all be all is like the thing that you want most, the thing that you see as power. When you read something like this, you're like, well, he's going to be really rich and he's going to be able to buy all this stuff. If you see fame as that, you're going to be like, well, he's going to be really famous. Um, if you see power as that, like influence, you're going to be like, well, he's going to be a king. And so everybody saw this. And I would imagine, I don't have a percentage because it's impossible to know, the percentage of people who actually called it, so to speak, who are like, well, he's going to be a, a, a teacher and he's going to be a person who walks around with his followers and loves everybody and teaches and heals. Very few people got that. They all had their different ideas. And that's one of the reasons that the Pharisees kind of hated him. And that's one of the reasons that a lot of people, even who uh, were, were Jewish believers, didn't really like him because they wanted him to be different. And that's what happens when you have a prophecy like that. Now, on top of that, imagine that before you're born, uh, your parents 
your parents, 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 parents had written a book about what your life is going to be like. You're like, why would they go down to this generation? And, but they did, for whatever reason. And so, like, you have to live up to that. So everything you do, everybody's like, yeah, but you were supposed to be better than that. Like, everything you do, people are like, well, I can't wait for Ben to be here because he's going to be exactly like this. Or I can't wait for uh, Hope to be here. Or I can't wait for Carol to be here. Or I can't wait for Rob to be here. I'm not going to go through everybody. I can't wait for so-and-so to be here because they're going to be exactly like this and they're going to make our family perfect. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Now, we know that Jesus is God, and we know from my drawing up here that he's part of the Trinity and that he's holy and that he's perfect, and yet he was still fully human. He was still fully human, and he was still uh, fully God, but his parents were just normal people. His parents were just kids. They were just teenagers. They were just young people. Uh, they had their lives mapped out. They, they knew what they wanted. They knew what they were going to do. They knew what they were going to be. And so when the angel comes to them, and this is before I even get to the Christmas story, when the angel comes to them and says, hey, so Mary, you're going to be pregnant as a virgin. Now, she's terrified. She's terrified at that because this is a time... Uh, where it's not like you can hide it. And it's not like, well, you know, we just have to be forgiving or understanding. It's where you have to be like, she's going to get stoned to death because that's wrong. And she's going to be hated. And at the very least, she's going to be cast out and talked about. And so she hears that. And when you look through Mary's scripture and you see her joy and her love, it shows why she was chosen. But at the same time, she had that fear because that's scary. Because most people are not going to believe her. Joseph isn't even going to believe her just when you hear it like that. And then for Joseph, it's the same thing. It's like, do I believe her? Like, do I go out in faith on this? Like, uh, what do I do? Or, and, and what are people going to say about me? Am I going to be able to get a job? They're going to be like, yeah, it's the guy that did this and did that. Like, oh, I bet, I bet that it was his or whatever. Like, they're going to talk about him. They're going to talk trash. You guys are in the social media age. You know that all people do is talk trash about each other now. And what well, started then? Like, it happened then too. And so that is a lot for them to be carrying. It's a lot, period, for them to be carrying even before that. But once they hear that, each of them in different ways, they accept it and they're like, God, help me do my best with this. Because that shows who they are. And that's who, why, Jesus why God chose them. Why they're that faithful people. It's not specifically that they were poor. It's not specifically, you know, where they are. It's because their faith matched up so truly with the prophecy and so truly with what God expects for us and hopes for us that it's like they are the examples of what we can be like. And so they feel all of that, and they're doing their best, and they accept it. And then it kind of sinks in, I think, as he gets older, but especially even then, like that first night, which we'll talk about here in a second, it kind of sinks in like, wait, this is God. Like, this is the prophecy. Everybody knows this prophecy. Everybody knows this prophecy. Um, it's kind of like, so a lot of people in the world aren't Christian, obviously, uh, but everybody knows who Jesus is, even now. And so this is then when there's fewer people and everybody knows the Messiah. They all know it, regardless of the belief. They all know it. And so it starts to sink in. It's like they're going to talk about us and not believe us. But if they do believe us, it's almost worse because then they're going to be like, wow, you know, they should have done a better job. Or what are they doing? How could they do that? How could they say that? Parents on their best day get questioned, especially when they have young kids, uh, by people who aren't parents, by people who don't understand, by people who just want to share their opinion regardless, and they'll question, and they'll judge everything, and they'll uh, push everything, and they'll just be all over the place. And it can be hard to be a parent. 
I would imagine if you went home and you asked your parents, hey, when I was a baby, uh, did anybody ever act really stupid or say anything really stupid to you when we were out in a store or when I cried or when I did this? And they're going to be like, yeah. I know that my sister has faced that with Beatrice at different times where um, she will cry or, or she will do something or she won't have the right coat on or something. And people are like, oh, you're not a very good parent. And it's like people jump to that. And that's with a normal kid. Like, no offense, all of you guys are extraordinary, but you're not the Messiah. And so this is like people if they don't believe, are going to be like constantly, man, Joseph, you're so stupid. And Mary, I don't like you very much. You don't have good morals. And every time they say something, it's like, yeah, but you did this. You lied and you did all this stuff. If they do believe, it's going to be like, hey, you got to do a better job. You're in charge of our souls here. Like you're raising the Savior, the Messiah. And so that's what this prophecy means. That's why I wanted to start with it. Because this is something that was around for more than 500 years that they had in their hearts. We always jump to the Christmas story, and I'm going to do it here in a second, I promise. I'm not just going to keep saying I'm going to do it. But we always jump to the Christmas story where the angels talk to Moses, or the angels talk to Mary. Wow, different Christmas story. The angels talk to Mary, and the angels talk to Joseph, and it's like, this is so pretty and so cool, and man, they accepted it, and that's awesome. But the Christmas story started at the beginning. Like, it started way back. Like, God had this plan, and the prophecy came from a long time ago. And they knew it, and they felt it, and they were a part of it. And to be a part of something that is in the Bible. I'm not talking where you see your own names, but to be a part of something that is in the Bible and has been in the Bible since the Scripture existed is insane. It's insane. And so, going to Luke chapter 2, verses 1-7, through 7, as promised. At that time, uh, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there, for the, uh, traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. So just to go into this a little bit before I finish up, uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about 80 miles. That's not a ton. Uh, 80 miles, just roughly uh, an hour and 20 minutes or so by driving, and that's without traffic. That's if semis stay in the right lane, like all kinds of stuff that might not happen. That's if people turn left when they're supposed to turn left. Anyway, um, it's about 80 miles. That's by driving. They're not driving because cars don't exist. Roads don't exist. Like they are walking or uh, she's riding on a horse or a camel, and they're just kind of going slow, and, and it's crazy, and it's hard because uh, even if you walked now you'd have places to stop and there's little towns and there's gas stations and you can stop and use the restroom you can stop and get a drink you can rehydrate you can eat there's nothing they're just walking for 80 miles so that's crazy she's pregnant uh, if you have any younger siblings so you've been around when your mom's been pregnant it is not an enjoyable experience I hear and so, like, it's very uncomfortable to just sit there and, and to walk. And, and it's hard and it's hurt, hurting and all of these things. And it's joyful and wonderful and every mother will tell you that it's magical. I believe that. But if you're riding on a camel, that's got to be hard, especially in that case. And so the weather is bad and the, there's no food and there's nothing. And they don't have any money. And everybody's talking about them as they're walking. Everybody's whispering. And they're going that 80 miles. And... Think about, so take away the 80 miles for a second, but it's going back to your ancestral home. This is kind of like if Congress was like, okay, we're going to do a brand new census, and this is for taxation purposes. They didn't care how many people existed in the world. 
It's like, we're going to do this. Uh, you're going to go back to your ancestral home. So like some of you, like I'm from German descent. I have to go back to Germany. Some of you are from England descent. Some of you are from, I don't know, other countries. That's the stuff. Anyway, you're from these different, you're from these different descents. There you go. All right. Okay, we're not going to start. That wasn't the point. Anyway, you're going to go back to where you came from. That's a long trip, and it's scary. And even today where we have cell phones and we have money and we have internet and we have hotels and we have all of these things, uh, it'd still be kind of difficult. You're like, I got to get this together and it's going to be costly and it's going to be this and I've got to make sure that there's room and I've got to do all this. This is before any of that. They couldn't, like Joseph and Mary couldn't get on hotels.com or Priceline or anything like that. They just had to go. They had to trust and they had to go. And so all of this was before Jesus was born. They, they knew what was happening and yet they're like, so one of the things that we kind of feel like, even if we don't outright say it, when we're called to do something, regardless of what it is, whether you're called into ministry or you're called to reach out to someone or you're called to teach or you're called to, to do whatever, anything you're called to do, uh, we know that God will prepare us, and that's absolutely true. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but we often think, well, he called me, so it's going to be really easy. We often think, well, he called me to do this, so I'm just going to have to go do it. It's hard still sometimes, and it still can be up and down. He will prepare you and help you through everything, but not necessarily in the way that we expect or the way that we want. I've talked about my calling before, uh, and I didn't understand it at first because I'm terrified of public speaking, and, and it just wasn't something that I felt I could do. And so little by little, I was led through it, and there were a lot of ups and there were a lot of downs, and, and a lot of times where I was like, is this right? Am I doing the right thing? Why not someone better? Uh, there are a lot of times even now where I will think about different things that maybe I see another youth group do or I see someone else do and I'm like, I wish I could do things like that. I wish I were better. I wish that blah, blah, blah. And like, I think like that. And it can be a hard thing. But God called me and so I trust him and so he helps me through it. Uh, but just because he helps me through it doesn't mean that it's easy. It means that it's rewarding. It means it's worth it. It means that it feels right. But it can still be hard. And so we forget that sometimes in the process. And so when we're called and we face that first obstacle, a lot of people will quit and be like, well, this must not be right because it was hard. Yeah, if you quit everything when it gets hard, you're never going to leave your house. It's just not possible. Regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of where you go to school, regardless of what your life is, you're going to face obstacles. And you have to get past it in some way. And then you feel whether it's the right call or not. You feel whether God is with you, but he will be no matter what. And so all of this is happening after they've been told, yeah, you're going to have the greatest responsibility of all time. You're going to raise the baby that is going to save our lives. You're going to raise the baby that is going to die for our sins. You're going to raise the baby that is going to be peace for everyone. And so they have all of that. And they're probably like, man, this is hard. Everybody's talking about us. And there's probably like as they're walking back, a lot of people were going back to Bethlehem. Uh, there's probably like a group in front of them and a group behind them and a group beside them on each side. And they're like looking over and like whispering like, yeah, it's Joseph and Mary. Yeah, you know them. You heard about that. Like they're not even married yet. And like all this stuff. And so they're facing that. And they're like, man, we just, how are we going to get home? How are we going to get home? We're going to get there, but we don't have any money to get back. What are we going to do? What, what, what if the baby comes while we're going? All of these things are going through their mind. And yet they continue moving forward because they were called, because they have that faith, because they know God is with them. Even when it's not easy, they know God is with them. Uh, change can be a tremendously scary thing. And nobody really likes it. People might say, yeah, I'm good with that, I'm good with that. Nobody really likes change. We like to have way, things the way we want them and the way we like them because we like that. Uh, and yet it's impossible to live a life without 
change going on around you. And so the important thing is not to focus on what is changing, but focus on how you can go through it with God and how he is leading you and how he is helping you and what he's showing you and what he's teaching you. And that's what Mary and Joseph are doing. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. They probably had moments where you're like, is this right? Are we the right people for that? Because every parent probably has that at one point or another, I'd imagine. And they probably had it double because they're like, man, he already knows more than us. Like, what are we going to do? And yet they trusted God. And that's what the Christmas story is to me. The last part here. Well, before I go on. So this was during the reign of Augustus. And so at this time, Rome is not quite as big as it will ever be, but it's bigger than it has been before. And it's everything. Uh, I'm talking beyond the reach of what America has today. Like it's, it's huge because the world is smaller. And yeah, there's a lot of the world they don't know. But I'm talking in the known world. Rome is reaching everything. And so Rome is telling them what to do. And it's this unseen force. And Augustus is, is Julius Caesar's like great-great-nephew, and, and he's got power, and he's kind of a good guy, and he's important, and people respect him at least, and yet, he's just a politician. And there are absolutely people who are like, yeah, I don't care about the Messiah, I've got this politician, I've got Augustus. Just like today, there are people who are like, yeah, you know what, I could follow Jesus completely but I really like this politician. I really like this celebrity. I really like this person over here. And I really, this is much easier and it's much more fun to do. And yet Mary and Joseph, at a time when everything is kind of falling apart for them, they follow God. And we know the star and we know the story, but they follow God. And even though they don't know how they're going to get back, they keep going because they know that there will be a way. Because God will make a way. And that's what's so amazing about the Christmas story. That's why it's the greatest story that's ever told. Uh, last part of the scripture. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. So before I get to the like, theological aspects, I want to hit a couple things. Number one, it says her firstborn son, which means you don't say that if she doesn't have kids after that. Uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters. He, he did. Uh, there are people who think that's crazy and people that think that's wrong. It doesn't really matter, but... The fact that he had brothers and sisters means that Mary and Joseph had the Savior. And then these brothers and sisters grew up with the Savior. And it's such a crazy thing. But he's her firstborn son. And it says there's no lodging. One of the things that you find if you watch anything from like Charlie Brown to a church play is that the hotel manager is kind of treated like a villain. And he's not a villain. Uh, like it's not like we sometimes act like he saw Mary and Joseph coming and like, oh, Turn off the vacancy. I don't want them here. He honestly didn't have any room because everybody's going everywhere and there's everybody everywhere. And he actually shows generosity and, and I think a Christ-like spirit in saying, hey, I got nothing, but there's a manger back there. And so one of the things that you'll find when you read this, when you look at this, uh, one of the things I point out a lot is this is a real story. This actually happened with real people. When we turn it into a story, we do things like that and we make heroes and villains where they don't need to be. But the point is, Mary and Joseph kept having a way. So like they could have given up when everybody's talking about them. They could have given up when they had to go 80 miles. They could have given up when they had no money. They could have given up when no lodging was available for them. But they kept trusting God. You're going to have times that are difficult for you. You're going to have times that feel more difficult than others. You're going to have times that, that feel difficult for you and someone else is going to be like, I went through that and it was really easy. And you're going to be like, man, I'm worthless. 
But the important part is not how anyone else handles it. The important part is not even how you handle it. It's just that you do. It's that you stand up and you say, God, I need a lot of help here. God, I need to feel you here. And we look at things like this. The story of our faith. This is the moment our faith was literally born, when Jesus was born. And the crazy thing, uh, there are three, okay, I'm not going to rate the passages of the Bible, but there are three vital, vital passages in Jesus' life for our salvation, for our life, for our future. And this is one of them where he's born. One of them is where he died on the cross. Okay, there's four. One of them is where he came back from the dead. So that's three. The fourth one is in Revelation where it says, you know, he comes back and he wins. Each of those four moments, each of those four moments is essentially one or two lines. Essentially one or two lines. Now, I'm a writer, theoretically, and if a writer is going to just write this, uh, you want to make the, you want to lead up to the important moments and you want to flower it up. Like, you want to take it and you want to take uh, Romeo versus Mercutio and you want to, like, make that fight last pages. You want to make that scene where Romeo, like, Romeo, or where Juliet says, Romeo, Romeo, where for thou Romeo, etc. You want to make that last pages. You want to really make people stare at that. But in real life, sometimes the most important moments are not important because of their length. They're just important because they're important. And so his birth was here. The important part is that he was born. The way that he was born shows us that God can work in any situation. The important part is that he did die for our sins. The way that God works through that is amazing the way that things happen the important part is that he came back from the dead for us to show us a way again that's the important part the important part is that he does win not like what the battle is like and so the christmas story basically boils down to like a paragraph and yet it survived forever because it's vital it's important it's where our faith is born it's where jesus was born it's where god says hey mary and joseph went through a lot of stuff and they were hated, and they were mocked, and they were made fun of, and people talked bad about them. And after Jesus was born, it didn't stop happening. And yet, they focused on what was in front of them. And they hurt, but they trusted, and they had faith. As we go through this year, and we look to next year, it's very easy to think, man, I'm just done with everything that's happened behind me. I'm ready for a new start. And that's fine. That's good. A fresh start is good. But to learn from what comes behind us and to understand that you can look back and be like, okay, how did God lead me through this time? What did God teach me in this time? What did God have for me? How can I grow from that? How can I help other people learn from that? How can I help other people see him in that? That's what it means to truly have a fresh start. And so that's what happens here. And that's what the Christmas story means. And that's why in this moment that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago and was known about forever, we see this perfect baby born in imperfect circumstances, not in a fancy hospital, not to rich people, but to poor teenagers who were basically outcasts. And yet, they did their best, and they were called because of that, because God works through the outcasts. And God works through all of us, and he helps us all to rise above everything that we face, no matter what it is. Again, if you're facing something right now, or you have faced something, or you're going to face something, and it's hard, and it's almost breaking you, that's fine. 
It's okay to feel that way. You're not a failure if you're struggling. You're not. But trust that God is in there with you. And that like he led Mary and Joseph through everything and helped them and and helped them to be an amazing part of this story, of our story. He'll lead you and he'll help you and he'll guide you. And he will put people in your lives that are there to help you in that same way. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to admit that you need help. Don't be afraid to admit that you're wrong. Don't be afraid to admit that you need to start fresh. But the people that love you, the people that God puts there, will help you. And they will show you. And then you can go from there and be those people for other people. And that's what it means to learn from this story. That's what it means to live this. Mary, we kind of don't talk about her a ton. But... After Jesus died and then went up to the went up to heaven afterwards, after he came back and you know the steel, uh, Mary was essentially a disciple. She wasn't treated the same because she was a woman, and there were probably still people that kind of talked about her, but she was a part of the movement of bringing Christ to the people, and so her purpose was yes to bring Jesus into the world and to be a part of this, but she kept going past that. God has a plan for all of us, and he has a plan for you, and he has a way for you to get through it. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what you will face, know that you will make it. You just have to trust him, and no matter how hard it is, others will help you, and God will help you, and you are worth it. That's all I got.